<clears throat> All right, so today we are focusing, uh, continuing on the idea of uh, Lutheran outreach and what that means. And I have this diagram on the board, Be at Leisure, Lutheran Approach to, out- to Outreach. And this begins, the circle begins first uh, in the middle and then uh, emanates outward. Uh, so we begin with the church. And then the second ring is the family. Uh, the third ring is the strain. And the fourth ring is vocation. Maybe better put uh, occupation, things like this. I'll, and I'll discuss that more when we get there. But right now we're on the church. So... So that's what we're focusing on. So this is where we begin outreach. Yeah, it's him. Three, the strain. Okay, yes. Uh, we'll get there more in detail when we, when we progress there. Because uh, we're going through this in order. So we just started. We'll start with one, two, and then finally three. Uh, three and four. But the strain would be those in the congregation who have, uh, who grew up in the congregation and have departed. Or people who grew up as Christian and then departed. So, and, and kind of the wisdom in this approach is that we're... N- I, I, I explained this last week that what a lot of people do with evangelism is they start with the ends of the earth. And they say, well, these people have never heard of Jesus or anything whatsoever. So we're going to start with them. As opposed to saying, well, let's start at the closest point, which is in our congregation, in our family and then the straying, those who know something about Jesus, and we can attempt to try and teach them again and say, don't forsake the Lord who, who made you and loves you. And then finally, then we say that the ends of the earth there. So, yeah, we'll talk about that more in, in a few weeks. Um, but this one, so the first characteristic is of the church should be faithfulness. There's three. We'll fill those out later uh, in the next couple of weeks. But the first is faithfulness. And what is the definition of faithfulness? I'll give you this from the scriptures. And this is what I quoted in the sermon. Revelation 2.10 says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Uh, so that this uh, faithfulness is rewarded by God. And it's a faithfulness that... Uh, death tries to take away. So there's something that death is trying to take away, uh, that the world wants to take away. John 8, 31 then says this, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So that if you want to claim to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, then you abide and you follow his word. So this is the connection. If uh, uh, you, you can't divorce the two. You can't say, I love Jesus, but then disregard his word. They're united. Jesus unites them. If you abide in the word, then you abide in me and vice versa. So, so that, that then is a definition of faithfulness is to abide or to continue in, to remain in unto death. Not for a time, but uh, our whole life. Hebrews 4.14 says, let us hold fast to our confession. So, by the way, does anybody know, can anybody define what confession means? Uh, literally, translated, it's Latin. Literally, it means um, to say with. That's literally how you would translate it, um, uh, that word. To say with something. So when we confess what the Bible says, we're saying with the Bible what the Bible says of itself. So if the Bible says it is the Word of God, then we say with it, it's the Word of God. If the Bible says of us that we are uh, conceived in iniquity, then we say with the Bible, we're conceived in iniquity. If the Bible says that we're uh, saved by grace through faith, then we say the same thing. Uh, so that our words and the Bible's words would be uh, matched in this way. I've oftentimes said that the best or the easiest way to be Lutheran is simply to learn the word amen, which means yes, it shall be so. So that as a Lutheran, that's really all you do. <laughs> Is you read the Bible and then you say, Amen, that's true. 
That's it. Well, this is what God said. Okay. Uh, so the, the attack of the world is to try and undo one thing, which is that amen, to take away that certainty and that confidence. Okay. Uh, that's Hebrews 4.14. Hebrews 10.23. Again, there's an exhortation. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, this is the definition of faithfulness, is clinging to the word. In other words, what do we call that? Doctrine. We have pure doctrine. We cling to the doctrine. We care about doctrine, what is taught, what is preached, what is uh, uh, sung about, all these sort of things. We we cling to it uh, very, very tightly. The worldly approach to outreach and evangelism, though, is what? How does it begin? In the opposite way, which is not by holding tightly to the word of God, but kind of letting it go a little, holding it lightly. In other words, uh, congregations will cut out or omit or ignore certain teachings of the Bible in order to make it more palatable or likable, right? So, so imagine that. So if, if we're in this, right, the sermon today, uh, that's not very evangelistic, right? According to the church growth things, uh, according to these methods to say, well, you, you know, you're, you're speaking pretty clearly about this and really we should be, we should have a more nuanced approach to this and, and we, we want to get them in first and then we'll tell them what the truth is. So we, it's kind of the bait and switch thing. So everybody come on in. Um, I'm not going to talk about anything controversial. I'm not going to say anything. I won't talk about homosexuality, any of this. And then once you're here, then slowly through the years, I'll kind of like turn the temperature up, you know, for, for the frog and then boil you alive in doctrine, right? <laughs> so that, that's, that's kind of the approach, which is like, well, let's back off a little bit. This liturgy, that's tough, right? That the, the liturgy, I guarantee, you know, everybody, anybody who walks off the street and comes in is going to say, that's a really difficult service. I don't know how you guys do that. And some of you guys do it by memory. Again, um, so what these churches will do, will say, well, let's tone it down. Let's take away these parts of the liturgy. The creed, that's hard. Uh, the Sanctus, nobody really gets it. The Kyrie, all, all these things. Well, let's take them away and let's give them something that they would like. And so then they'll present the service and the word in a certain way. Um, I can't use, because this is being recorded, I can't use certain names of things, but I think you could figure this out. One member of our church, after a service at Zion, went to another church <clears throat> that, was, that was not Lutheran, and it was kind of one of these big mega churches. And he went there, uh, and it, he said it was a two-hour-long service. <laughs> and uh, I asked, well, what, what did they do? And he told me, and he said, they read one Bible verse. So in the, in the whole sermon, the sermon was like 45 minutes um, uh, something like that, almost an hour. And then the entire sermon w- was just reading one Bible verse. And the rest of it was about the guy's vacation and all these sort of things and never really made connections here. Uh, and, and he realized this massive distinction of, and this difference between the efficiency of a Lutheran service and that of these mega churches, which is there's a lot of fluff and then you say, well, what's, what's the meat? Where's the meat? And it's like this little piece, <laughs> this one little verse. As opposed to when you come to a Lutheran church, there's, it's, it's a flood of doctrine. I mean, everything, the whole service is, is going this way. That takes time to learn, and I understand that. And I'm willing to teach anybody who wants to take the time to listen. So if somebody comes in and criticizes us and says, well, this is weird, I don't understand what you're doing, I don't expect you to understand it because this took a long time for us to learn it. But this is really meaningful to us, all of it. I, I was explaining this to somebody who was, um, who, who was non-denominational and they were asking me, um, what, what, do you, what do you guys do in the service? It's a lot more formal and things. And I said, uh, we were just talking about the liturgy. And I said, well, for example, at the end of the service, we sing the song of Simeon, the Nunc Dimittis. And she was like, well, what's that? And I said, well, um, Jesus uh, was in the temple as a baby, and Simeon held the baby, uh, the, the, the baby Jesus, and said, now I can die in peace, because it was 
uh, promise to him that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. He didn't even see the baby move or speak a word or lift a finger. And then he says, that's it. I can die in peace. And she said, that's beautiful. That's amazing. And I said, yeah, that's how it is with the whole service. Everything in the service is that beautiful. It's that significant. But again, I don't expect somebody to just naturally understand it. So the approach of the world is to say, well, let's make this more palatable. Let's get rid of the parts of the liturgy. Let's not speak on certain points of doctrine. Uh, So they'll omit teachings against uh, homosexuality. They just won't talk about it or they won't talk about divorce or abortion, transgenderism, cohabitation, um, women lectors, things like this. And what they'll do is they make it very vague, right? Kind of a generic watering down of of Christianity. Um, And what they try to do is they try to win the world by lessening how much God's word is preached. Because the scriptures themselves say that the word of God is a, a stumbling block, that the cross is a stumbling block. So if I preach the cross and I talk all about death and the forgiveness of sins and sin, then people who are not really, uh, people who are still in their sins and don't believe in God will be offended by this. Okay, what I'm saying is that our approach is totally different. We don't want to convert people by less of God's word. We convert people by more of God's word. And that starts at home. That starts in the church. So they grow their churches through unfaithfulness. We grow them through faithfulness. Uh, so the, the Lutheran approach then begins by, uh, it begins and ends at the same point. So, <clears throat> Are you yeah. saying unfaithfulness or beating around the bush? It's, it's, it's in there and, and, you know, it's not stressing. They're going, yeah, we don't want to talk. Like you said, any of those things they don't want to talk about, they just don't talk about them. Yeah. They're not saying opposite, like, you know, that's okay. They're right. They're not talking about it. Yes. So, so yeah, there's a difference between just uh, flat-out um, uh, false doctrine opposing this and then kind of ignoring it and saying, I don't want to say these words. Now, the, we would still say that's a type of unfaithfulness, maybe not to the same degree as opposition to the word, but there is even ignoring or dismissing the word is a problem because Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, all. So that there's not one thing that we're not to say. Now, obviously, we can't do that all in one service. I can't, I can't do that in all in one sitting and go through the catechism you know, entirely. We'd be here for hours. Um, so, but the point is, is that you can notice this sort of uh, fear or insecurity when they need to make, when they're called upon to give an answer, and they don't, right? So to say, uh, there's something happening in the world, and then they refuse to speak on it. Just refuse. Not that they didn't have time or say, I will, but they just won't speak on it and say, I, don't, I just don't want to take a side on the issue. This is where we have to be very careful. So, so omitting, even avoiding doctrine, is the same as not teaching it to begin with. So it's a type of unfaithfulness, but even though it's not the same degree as saying, you know, we're for this or something. Yeah. Pastor, isn't it, and a favorite way of them doing this is <clears throat> a lot of times they'll refer to it as adiapra. And they'll say, oh, it, it, which means it's not important. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's in there, but it's really for worry about it. It, it means you don't have to follow this or whatever. Mm. Yeah, so, so adiapra means um, neither commanded nor forbidden by the scriptures. But a lot of people will understand it in that way and say, well, it, it just means we can agree to disagree or it's unimportant. <laughs> And then you get into a lot of trouble with that, which we'll talk about too. Um, but the, the, the point here is that as Lutherans, the way we do missions and the way we do outreach and evangelism is through faithfulness. And I say, well, I'm just going to teach the word, whether people like it or they don't. But I can't, you can't, you, you can't uh, convert somebody without the word of God. That's the only way people are converted. So... So our approach to evangelism begins and ends in the same place. It's with faithfulness, meaning in order to start evangelism, you have to be faithful to the word. And what is the means of evangelism? 
being faithful with the word. And what's the goal of evangelism? That others would be faithful to the word. And it starts and ends at the same place. Do you see this? So, but, but if you start evangelism with faith, um, unfaithfulness or uh, timidity, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, right? Of fear, uh, but one of boldness and confidence. <clears throat> if you start in this way, then that's the means that you reach out to others. And that's the goal. That's where they're going to end up too. This is why the, really this kind of watering down of the word of God never really works. Uh, Darren, actually, yeah, Darren, you sat there last time. Uh, Darren <laughs> said a really good, <clears throat> a really good point. He said, how you win them is how you lose them, right? Or something along the lines. With, with churches, this is true. How you gain people to the church is how you also lose people in the church. So if you gain people in the church by flashy lights and these sort of things, well, if you take those lights away, then they'll, they'll go too. If you gain people in the church by friendliness, well, then when there's strife and difficulty, they'll go away too. If you gain people in the church through doctrine, then they'll remain as long as that doctrine remains. So you say, here's the thing. This is why you should be here. Doctrine. Now, a lot of things could happen. Could there be strife and trouble and, and uh, uh, bickering and fighting in the congregation? Yeah. But I'm going to stay because the doctrine is still here. Uh, are there financial difficulties? Yeah. But is doctrine here? Yep, I'm going to be here. So I will be here as long as that is here. That's the, the, the jewel there that we, that we gather around. The other things are benefits. Moments of peace, that's a good thing. Um, but you don't, what you don't want to do is change the secondary things to be the main thing. Fellowship to be the reason we're in church. We shouldn't be here for fellowship. You should be here for the word of God, for doctrine, for Jesus. Fellowship is a result of that. It grows out of that, and that's good. But the fellowship grows because you all have the same faith in the word of God and not the other way around. You don't say, well, let's get together. Let's try and be friends, but we don't agree on what God's word says, right? Then, then it's not really deep or profound. So how, you, how you're going to win them is how you're going to lose them. So this is the problem with the contemporary worship services. You gain them by these things. Then you say, well, I kind of want to change the temperature here and teach them through this. But when they realize it's being changed, then they leave. And they say, well, this isn't what I came to. This is different. Uh, I feel kind of tricked. <laughs> you, you, showed me, you showed me one thing, and then now you're selling me another. So <clears throat> anyway, the, the point for us is that we begin with faithfulness. We end with faithfulness. Um, <clears throat> this means that being faithful is we don't omit or change or ignore parts of Scripture <clears throat> when called upon to confess them. And we don't change the practices in the church. Now, I want to make one distinction here between the outreach of the devil versus the outreach of God. <clears throat> the outreach of the devil is optics or numbers. That they want a building that is full of people, but that is void of doctrine. Right? So, would it be nice to see 10,000 people gathered here today? Yeah. Um, that would be wonderful. It would be exciting. <clears throat> but uh, that, that's what the devil wants only if we can get rid of the doctrine. Then what's the point of the 10,000 people being here? There is no point. right? Then you lose the whole purpose. Where The, the way uh, the, the outreach of God is that even if two or three are gathered, that they would be gathered in his name. So that uh, he... The, the Lord doesn't start with optics and numbers and flashy, glorious things. He starts with faithfulness. He says, well, well are they gathered? If they're gathered, I don't care. There's 5,000 here. But I want to be with the ones who are gathered in my name. And that's where I'll be. <clears throat> so the goal here is, is doctrine, is the, pure, the purity of God's word. And we really have to emphasize this because a lot of people will pit these things against each other. They'll say, you can be a confessional Lutheran or you can be a missional Lutheran. But you can't be both because they have different approaches. Confessional Lutherans are about solid doctrine and uh, the, the, the liturgy and faithfulness to the word. And then missions are more about like, just do whatever you want, just 
convert them how, whatever, by whatever means necessary. And in our synod, we've had kind of this rift that people say, well, if you're a confessional Lutheran, you're not missional. And if you're a missional Lutheran, you're not confessional. I think one, I, I'm hoping that one of the things you've <clears throat> noticed and seen uh, in the month of May <clears throat> with all of the, the missionaries who are here and to Puerto Rico, to um, uh, uh, Siberia, <clears throat> the Nigerians, and so on and so forth, is that they were faithful to the word of God, no matter where they were in the world. They did the same things that we're doing here, just in a different language. And I think that's beautiful, because truly, if you're a confessional Lutheran, you're a missional Lutheran. That's how it works. Uh, that we, we teach these things, and we don't have to pit them against each other. We don't discard of God's word or ignore it. We cling to what it says. So, um, so I, I want to talk about the importance of a faithful congregation here. Uh, outreach is supposed to draw people to a congregation. And it's useless if you draw people to a wrong congregation or a bad congregation. Right? So if our outreach efforts lead people to the Mormon temple on Apopka Island, were we successful? No. No, because, well, then we blew it. Right? They missed the point. Uh, we weren't being clear enough. If, if our outreach efforts draw them to any other place, well, then this is a problem. We want the outreach effort to draw them to where there's the faithful preaching of the word. So I'll, I'll give you one example of what I do uh, when I see kind of beggars and people who are homeless um, uh, they'll, they'll ask for money, and I, I don't give them money. But what I do tell them is I'll, I say, I'll buy you food, and we'll just go here, and I'll buy you a whole meal, get whatever you want. And in the meantime, what I do is I, then I tell them about the nearest Lutheran church. So a lot of people will just say, well, if I tell them about Jesus, then that's enough. But I say, no, 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 I'm not just going to give you a piece of bread. I want you to keep going back. I want you to find a church to be a part of. So I tell them, hey, there's a church down here. Uh, you need to go there. And I'm going to tell the pastor about you, and you've got you to gotta go there, or else you're going to be in this position forever. Uh, those people will help you, and you need, you, you need to remember uh, uh, the, the God who loves you and wants to forgive you. And uh, th which is, so the point is, you lead them to a church as opposed to just leading them, uh, or just giving like a five-second summary of the gospel. Again, I'm not saying that a five-second summary of the gospel is bad. You should. But if that's all you do without ever telling them where to continue to keep going, then you've fallen short. So that the goal of outreach is to say, not just that you know historically this knowledge that Jesus died for you, but that you would continue to go to where he is for you, always. Um, Okay, also, um, outreach is accomplished when people join not any church, but a faithful church. Um, <clears throat> so this is, the, this is our, our approach and our goal. Yeah, Sam. I think I know the answer to this. Okay. Do you, about leading people to church, is there a denomination that you would consider acceptable to have a good attitude? Oh. Oh, besides the Lutheran Church. Um, is yeah. there one that is correct enough in doctrine yeah. to be accepted? That's a tough one. Uh, so, <clears throat> I, generally speaking, I would draw the line um, between the, the mainline liberal and uh, the, the conservative faithful churches. So, for example, I, I think the closest, maybe, Closest, it's, it's tough. How do you do this with doctrine? But the closest um, would probably be Presbyterian. Then I say, okay, well, there's a distinction amongst the Presbyterians. There's PCUSA, and then there's the PCA, and then there's OPC, OPC. Um, the PCUSA is Presbyterian Church of the United States of America. They're liberals. So if you lead them there, you've actually done a disservice. The PCA, Presbyterian Church of America, is a lot more faithful, moderately, and uh, it's better than nothing, right? Uh, the, the OPC, Orthodox Presbyterian Church, is, 
you're getting closer, like you're getting warmer, right? Again, the goal is faith in Christ, obviously. And I, but I, at the same time, we don't, I'm not saying they're not Christians, but at the same time, we don't want to minimize false doctrine and say, well, they won't have the assurance of salvation. They may always question and wonder, does God love me? And seek his choosing and his election apart from the sacraments. Say, well, that, that's, that's bad. That's, I don't want that for you, right? So, yes, the best thing to do, and what's really wonderful nowadays is you could just Google Lutheran Church or something. Um, again, it's not so easy, but you just keep it in mind and say, I know of this Lutheran Church here. You could go there. Um, and even tell them, hey, go to this website, and you can find a church or, or things like this. But, yeah, that, that's a tough one. Um, that's, it's not as clear. Yeah. Well, and, and also the danger, too, Right. Well, we have the same problem. Exactly. Exactly. We have the same problem with uh, as the Presbyterians do. That uh, we have the ELCA, which is the largest uh, Lutheran denomination. Um, They're not evangelical. They're not Lutheran. They're not a church. They're in America, so they have that. Uh, So, but then you have the LCMC, which is very similar to LCMS in the, in the name, but it's not. Uh, it, LCMC is Lutheran Churches in Mission for Christ, and that's actually uh, a church that broke away from the ELCA, but wouldn't join the LCMS, and they're on their own. So it's very confusing. I think of all the denominations, the Lutherans have the most confusing nomenclature and acronyms. So... But yeah, this is, this is the struggle, right? This is the difficulty is where do I lead them? Where do I teach them to go? Um, but I, I want to talk about this is the best thing to do is tell them to come to your own congregation, right? So whenever I, those examples that I'm talking about with the homeless people and the beggars, that's when I'm somewhere else. When I'm here, I say, you have to go to Zion, and they're like, why? And I'm like, I'm the pastor. And, I, and I'm like, uh, you, you got to go there. That's a good church. I promise you. And we'll help you. And, and I'll teach you doctrine. Uh, so I tell them to go to these places if, if they're local here. Um, anywhere else in the world, it's, a, it's tough. It's a tough thing. But so we can't manage the world. We can manage us. So we're going to ensure that our congregation is faithful. And this is what we do. So the way you do this is by ensuring that we have pure doctrine and practice so that you would examine all teaching and preaching and everything that the congregation does in, uh, does in church. Um, here's my experience, what I've seen, is that churches that have kind of the modern services are also the same churches that are weak in doctrine or won't speak up when the time calls for it. This is just how it goes. They, they go hand in hand. Um, and it's unfortunate. I'm not saying every contemporary church is this way. There are some that are kind of starting this. But over time, that's what happens. Uh, they'll, they just kind of chip away at these things. And they lose what is central and, and crucial. And they lose the doctrine. Maybe not even intending to. But over the years, just maybe forget it. Uh, th- that's just my experience. It's something I've noticed. If you go to contemporary churches, you're going to notice what about communion? It's, it's a lot more loose. It's a lot more open. Rarely will you find a contemporary worship service with closed communion, firmly and steadfastly. That's jarring, isn't it? Welcome. Just kidding, right? Uh, everybody come, but we're not going to communion. Rather, the, the idea behind that is we, we want to be welcoming, and close communion is offensive. People aren't going to feel welcomed, so we have to kind of you know, tone it back a little. So th- these things go hand in hand. Um, rarely do you find these, these modern churches holding steadfastly to doctrine. That's the danger. And I want you to be able to recognize this because... Uh, for example, my, my sister, my oldest sister is an optometrist, and she showed me a picture once of an eyeball, like being able to look through the pupil into the eyeball. And I just saw it, and I was like, okay, there's a big circle with a bunch of lines everywhere. And she was able to look there and say, that line, 
that is starting cataracts, or here's glaucoma, or here's this. And she's able to point these things out, and she's, that's not supposed to be there, that line. And that, that dot, that's not supposed to be there. And this, there. Where I looked at it, and I'm like, it looks fine to me. <laughs> it looks round, and that's fine. That's all I know. So in the same way with doctrine, the, the more you learn about doctrine and practice, the more you'll be able to walk into a church and say, you'll notice all the lines and dots and say, what is that? I don't remember that. That's not supposed to be there. Uh, or that line, what, what's that? There? Why did the pastor say this and not that? Or why did they take out the creed when we're supposed to say the creed? Or why is it before the sermon instead of after? So you'll notice these things. Another example is uh, people who are trained to find counterfeit money. How do they train them? They just give them a bunch of real dollars, a bunch of bills, and they, spend, they lock them in a room for seven hours and they just look at it. And then the test is they give them the same stack of bills and they put a counterfeit and they find it nearly every time. Not having studied what a dollar bill is supposed to look like, just looking at, looking at what's real, and then they say, this feels off for some reason. The paper, the texture, this doesn't look right to me. And that's, so this is the same way. How do you find true doctrine? Or, how do you spot false doctrine? By knowing true doctrine. And then that'll perk up your ears to say, that doesn't sound right. For some reason, it didn't, it didn't match. Okay. Um, we have to ensure faithful doctrine. Look at Luke chapter 24. Starting at verse 46, says this. True doctrine is that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. Uh, again, I'll give you another story here. I talked to a pastor who had a church in a predominantly um, uh, LGBTQ area. And it was, it was actually here in Florida. And we talked about some of these things. And I said, uh, how do you do this? That's got to be very difficult. That's got to be a very stressful sort of time. And he says, it's not that bad. And he said he just doesn't talk about the issue. And I said, that's not good. <laughs> I said, these people need to hear it. You need to tell them to repent. And you need to tell them that they have the forgiveness of sins in Christ. And th th that's what you need to do. What you, what you don't do is you say, well, this is the sin of my congregation, and I'm not going to address it. You, you can't, that's unloving. That's unloving to, to see your child doing something that's going to destroy them. They say, well, I don't want to be mean. I'll just let them do what they want. Well, it's going to destroy them. So the, the loving thing to do is to, to call them out and say, look, I, I, I love you. The Lord loves you. He spilled his blood for you. This is a sin. Repent of this. You know there's forgiveness for this. Um, and I'll show you where that forgiveness is. So rather than uh, avoiding the topic, we take it head on. Um, and, and we talk about it. If Luther says, this isn't anything new. Luther says this in the preface of his small catechism. He says, uh, you preach the commandment that your people need to hear. <laughs> and so Luther says, if you have a, a congregation full of mechanics, then you t teach which commandment? The seventh, you shall not steal. <laughs> uh, that's what he says. Uh, if you have a bunch of businessmen, you teach the seventh commandment. If you have a bunch of young people and kids, what do you teach them? The fourth commandment, and instill that in them. If you have a congregation full of gossip and slander, what do you teach on? The eighth commandment, you speak on that. And so on and so forth. If, if you have a, a lot of lawlessness, um, people breaking the sixth commandment, well, then you have to teach on it. You don't just avoid the topic. You, you tackle that topic and say, this is, people are always talking about, I want relevant preaching. I want something relevant. And what they mean by it is, I want you to quote, the Avengers or uh, um, Grey's Anatomy or some, some show. But real relevant preaching is to say, this is your sin, yours. And this is the Jesus who forgives that sin. That's relevant. But people, then they say, oh, I don't want it to be that relevant. I don't want that. I don't want you to say that. So, so this, is, this is the point, is that we, we uh, preaching is always... It's fascinating because it's a very difficult thing to do. Because the sermons I preached maybe eight years ago are not the same that I'm preaching now. 
And that's not because the word changed, but the context and the emphasis of Zion changed. And it's not that I'm using the context to avoid preaching on certain things, but I'm using the context to preach on certain things. Do you, do you see this? So uh, we're, we're not going to step away from this. A lot, what, what, when people throw around the word contextualize things, they use that as a way to um, avoid certain topics as opposed to preaching on certain topics. Yes, you have to know the context of your congregation, but that doesn't mean you avoid what they need to hear. You say it clearly and plainly. And you let the word do its work. Um, like, like Luther said with the Reformation, I preached and then the word did its work. I slept, I ate, I drank beer with my friend Amsdorf, and then the word did the work. That, that's, that's all he does. So th- this is the point, is that, yes, I preached a, a 20-minute sermon today, well, that, those words are going to stay with you this week. And then you heard the word th- today? Well, it's going to stay with you and keep working on you throughout the week. And then next week and the next week after that, so on and so forth. Okay, so you have to ensure that we have faithful doctrine by preaching repentance and forgiveness. 1 Corinthians one twenty three says, We preach Christ crucified. Uh, that this is the... If he could summarize all sermons, he says, It's about Christ and him crucified. Acts 17, um, Luke who wrote Acts, writes, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So how do you ensure that you have a faithful congregation? You have to have a Bible in your hand and then ears open in the service and say, show me. And I want to examine, I want to see, I want to scrutinize what is being said. And I want to compare it to the scriptures. That this is what the people in, um, uh, what, what the Jews were, were doing. Um, so that means you don't judge a service by the personality of the pastor. Um, or not liking or being offended or being bored or disagreeing with what is preached is not the way to find a faithful congregation. Uh, it can only be done with the scriptures. Only. You have to have the Bible in hand and, and think this through. And you have to listen. Uh, so, so it's not simply enough to say, well, I just didn't get anything out of the sermon. Maybe that's your fault. Maybe it's the preacher's fault, but maybe it's also your fault, right? Maybe, I, I don't know. I don't know what sermon you're talking about. But if, if that's the case, if you didn't get anything out of the sermon, then uh, sometimes that's the case, that a pastor just doesn't pr- say anything substantial. But, um, but you also have to examine yourself and examine that sermon against the Word of God. Okay, so that's ensuring faithful doctrine, is you do that with your ears and with the Scriptures. Ensuring faithful practice means that you scrutinize the liturgy and the hymnody and what, what you do in the service. Uh, liturgy and hymns can fall into false doctrine. That's the problem. Um, some can be true and some can be false. Some can be clear and some can be unclear. Some can be faithful and unfaithful. This means that some liturgies are better than others. Some are worse than others. Some hymns are better than others and some are worse than others. Not every hymn is weighted equally. You can open the hymnal and they're not equally good. They're, they're, they're not. In fact, uh, let's, if you have your hymnal, you can open it up here. I want, to compare. I want to compare one thing here. My point here is to, that you would learn to love hymns for what they say and not how they sound. Take, for example, oops, Amazing Grace. I know I, I keep ragging on this hymn over and over, but... I need to until, <laughs> until I never hear it again. Okay, uh, Amazing Grace, 744. Turn to that hymn. I, I just want you to compare things here. That's all. Just listen with an open mind. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That's not bad. That's true, right? The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. 
Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far. His grace will lead me home. Yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, amazing grace shall then prevail in heaven's joy and peace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. Okay. What's one thing you notice about that hymn? It's got a great tune. It's got a great tune. They changed the second verse. They changed the second verse. Well, they omitted it, actually. The second verse actually said... Um, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fear relieved." Now, do you, is that true? D- does the grace of God, the fact that He love you, loves you, teach you to fear? "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." That's a confusion of law and gospel, right? We know that the law teaches us to fear, but the gospel teaches us comfort. And that's a very simple distinction. That's a, that's a false teaching there already. The good thing is they removed it. But what's the other striking thing here? That Notice anything missing? Yeah, that's, that's it. Um, it doesn't mention Jesus, which is a pretty big thing. It's like, it's like proposing to your wife with a diamond ring without the diamond in it and saying, here you go. It's beautiful. Um, well, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't say a lot. It's amazing grace. Grace alone. Okay, that's true. But then it never defines or says where the grace comes from. And, and this is, so, so this is what I'm pointing out. I'm not saying this is heretical and we're all you know, going to die if we sing this. But th- there's, a da- there's a danger here. In, and the danger is that uh, it talks about grace in what way? Separated from Jesus. As if they're different concepts. Like an abstract, yeah, at, at grace in the abstract. And what, what does John 1, I think, 14 say? Uh, uh, Moses, or the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Christ, through the Son of God. So that you, the only way you can say that God is gracious is through Christ. That's it. I don't know, God be, I don't know that God is gracious apart from Jesus. There, there's no such thing. I don't know. I don't know of a God that does that. There, there is no God that is gracious except for the God we see in Christ. And th- this is so deeply united in, in him. So that w- what the danger here is that we can conceive of grace in the abstract apart from the person of Christ when the scriptures never reveal it in such a way. That every time the scriptures talk about grace, it's always talking about Christ and united. That is in the person of Christ. Grace comes through through, the ch- channeled through Jesus. Um, just, again, take that hymn. It's, it's weak on, on those accounts. But now consider this hymn. Where is it? Uh, 458. This one has more vo- verses, so it's not a fair fight, I realize. But um, ju- just consider, just, consi- just listen to these words. Look at how it begins. Christ Jesus lay in death's strong bands for our offenses given. That, you could end the hymn there, and that's awesome. <laughs> but now at God's right hand, he stands and brings us life from heaven. Therefore... Let us joyful be and sing to God right thankfully loud songs of Alleluia, Alleluia, and praise God. No son of man could conquer death. Such ruin sin had wrought us. No innocence was found on earth. Not one is innocent. And therefore death had brought us into bondage from of old and ever grew more strong and bold and held us as its captive. Alleluia. Christ Jesus, God's own Son, came down, his people to deliver. Destroying sin, he took the crown from death's pale brow forever. (laughs) That's so good. Stripped of power, no more it reigns. An empty form alone remains. Its sting is lost forever. Alleluia. It was a strange and dreadful strife 
when life and death contended. The victory remained with life. The reign of death was ended. Holy Scripture plainly saith that death is swallowed up by death. Its sting is lost forever. Alleluia. Here, our true Paschal Lamb we see, whom God so freely gave us. He died on the accursed tree, so strong his love to save us. See, his blood now marks our door. Faith points to it, death passes over, and Satan cannot harm us. Alleluia. So let us keep this festival to which the Lord invites us. Christ is himself the joy of all, the sun that warms and lights us. Now his grace to us imparts eternal sunshine in our hearts. The night of sin is ended. Alleluia. Then let us feast this Easter day on Christ, the bread of heaven. The word of grace has purged away the old and evil leaven. Christ alone our souls will feed. He is our meat and drink indeed. Faith lives upon no other. Alleluia. Uh, what does it do? It, first of all, right out the bat, just starts with Christ, Jesus. Talks about his, the atonement, his suffering for our offenses and our sins. And then says that that is the means by which we have the grace of God. Now his grace to us imparts eternal sunshine to our hearts. The, the, the night of sin has ended. Uh, Christ alone feeds. Um, the word of grace has purged away the old and evil leaven. Okay, just that exercise alone. What I'm saying is that if you could only sing one hymn for the rest of your life between those two, which one would you pick? <laughs> That one. <laughs> that one. What is it? A catcher? <laughs> that was the, how does it sound? <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> There's a lot of times it comes down to when you look at it, these ones, you know, when it's a great one, it's, it's the focus and center is Jesus, where the other ones are the focus and center is yourself. Yeah. To, right, the change in me... As opposed to the change in God, yeah. right? So uh, to say that, that I was a wretch, but now I'm found, that's good, that's true. But that's kind of focusing on the, you and the change in your life, as opposed to here's God who is high and holy, and he takes on human flesh, <laughs> and his heart changes towards sinners because of Christ, right? Who wrote, <laughs> so, who, who wrote that hymn? Who wrote it? Uh, that was good question. I th- it was a Baptist, right? Yeah, that's that's what it was. He didn't know. Oh wow. He was a slave. All right. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can explain that. I'll, it'll take a while. I can explain it after and even, even tell you. Uh, it's, uh, simplifying it in this way, uh, it says, Though the darkness hide thee. Um, this was written by a rationalist. The, the, the reason we don't see... Um, our sin is the reason we don't see God and not his glory. And I'll, I, can ex- I can explain it more. I wrote more about it, too. Um, it's, it's a confusing sort of line there. Um, but what I want to do with this exercise is just to show you that. Uh, one more thing, quickly. Um, you know what, let me, let me uh, skip this part because I talked about the hymnody already and I have more examples, but um, I, I won't get into it now. Uh, what I want to point out here is that simply because you like the hymn or it's a favorite doesn't mean it's faithful and true. What we do is we compare it to the, the word. And we say, well, if we preach Christ crucified, that's what the content and subjects of pre- preaching ought to be. Then what should the content and preaching or uh, content and substance of uh, a hymn be? It should be Christ and him crucified. Right? So, so why would we change it? Why would we say, well, it's okay to preach Christ and him crucified in the sermon, but not in the hymn, or vice versa? So we want to say, well, that's, that's everything to us, and I don't want to lose that. But I want to get to this last part, ensuring a faithful pastor, with the final seconds we have here. 1 Timothy 4 says this, Until I come, Paul is telling Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, Attend to these things, be in these things in order that your progress may be manifest to all. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. 
that is on doctrine. Remain in them, for by doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So that the main thing that the pastor is to do is to care about doctrine. And the congregation ensures this uh, by making sure that he has enough time to study doctrine. Um, so, for example, uh, just a couple examples here. Um, boards and committees. Relieve him. This is from the book, by the way. Uh, relieve him of administrative tasks that, requ- that request his help. Excessive meetings that would keep him from the word of God. Elders. That the elders would ask him, the pastor, what he's reading and learning and even listening to. Make sure that he could have a good library, books, and even attend education classes, so on and so forth. Um, that this is the duty of the elders, not simply to help with the congregation, but also to keep the pastor in line doctrinally. So that if, if I start reading, I don't know, like... Uh, yeah, yeah, the purpose-driven <laughs> church or the, the, the communist manifesto for fun. No, if, and I'm really trying to get things out of this, then as opposed to critiquing them, then the elders should say, what, why, why is all of this in your library and none of that, and none of these good things. So I, th- that's what the elders do, is, is there's constant dialogue and conversation to say, well, what are you learning about? Who have you talked to? Uh, th- that's good. The pastor needs that. Uh, finally, the congregation, as far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with one another. Um, that is not to gossip, not to cause unnecessary division or strife. Uh, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Does anyone have a Bible? Yeah. Oh, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Yes, that's it. So, so the word leaders there is uh, pastor. Uh, that, that you're to hear them, that listen to them, and know that they have to give an account for the congregation, right, for everyone. So the, the way you ensure, I'm going to summarize it this way, the way you ensure you have a faithful church is by ensuring that you have faithful doctrine, faithful practice, and faithful, a faithful pastor, that he can remain faithful. Okay, let's end here.